0: This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by the Maryland Institute College of Art. MICA's professional graduate program in information visualization trains designers and analysts to translate data into compelling visual narratives. Benefit from the resources of a premier college of art and design while learning online. Earn your information visualization degree in just 15 months. Expert faculty includes Andy Kirk, John Schwabish, Marissa Peacock, and Rob Rolleston. Learn more at mica.edu slash mpsinviz.
1: Welcome back to the Policy Viz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. I'm sitting here at NPR in Northeast D.C. Just barely. Just barely with uh, Brian Boyer. Brian, thanks for coming on the show. Happy to be here. Lovely new building. Newish yeah. building. Newish. A couple yeah, of years old. A couple years old. So thanks for the tour around. That was that was a lot of fun. Maybe we can start by having you introduce yourself and the visuals team here at, at NPR.
2: Sure. So yeah, I'm Brian Boyer. I'm the visuals editor at NPR. Um, we're a sort of a ragtag band of misfits where uh, we are photo editors, photographers, Video producers, interaction designers, graphics editors, um, we, and hackers. So we do picture editing, we make graphics for the website, we do interactive design, we make video for Facebook, um, sort of all aspects of visual journalism here at NPR.
1: And how does that group fit within all the other groups within NPR?
2: Right. There's, um, the individual desks and shows have, um, will frequently have people with sort of similar talents. They'll be, you know, the, the science desk, for example, has people who make video and, and images and things like that. So we're often sort of working with folks on those other desks to help mm-hmm. them produce stories. um, and then, but the, you know, I'd say the stuff that we're sort of most proud of and maybe known for are when, you know, we we're working really closely with the desk or, or one of the shows like Morning Edition um, and working with them to tell a story online. And that mm-hmm. could be, that could be something um, as, you know, simple as a great pairing of graphics and text and sort of a normal, you know, layout of a story on our website. Um, or something that's pretty outlandish, um, you know, sort of breaking the format, telling a story with a completely bespoke interface, right? Mm-hmm. That you might need. So that the, but the idea really being that we want to, we want to, you know, to borrow a phrase, we want to let the the form of the piece follow the function. So we're never really starting with a format. And that's really maybe the cool thing about having a team of people with so many different skills yeah. is that we can sort of approach the problem with a group of three or
1: four people and figure out how it's going to manifest depending on the story. And are you driving those conversations with other desks? Are they coming to you? And when, and when you're pulling that together, how does that work as you try to build the team sort of across the different groups?
2: Right. I mean, yeah. So, you know, let's say the majority of our work is work on series or stories that are part of like the newsroom's priorities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're covering the National Park Service this summer. We're covering the you know, the election, the general election, right? Um, right. And we're working with the various desks on helping them tell the stories. Occasionally, you know, there's a story that we love so much that we pitch back to a desk. You know, there's a, number, a handful of pieces we've pitched to the international desk. Um, recently so it kind of you know it it, it can kind of come from any which way i mean the the there isn't a strict formula for you know the exact kind of work we do a lot of our most successful stuff has been with the books and arts teams Mm -hmm. um which uh you know is maybe a little unexpected but those you
1: know audience loves that stuff so right so let me back up just a second to to ask how does a visuals team fit within an organization that's identified as audio only? How does that work from sort of management and, and the identification of the of the organization? Honestly, it's not always easy. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is a uh,
2: you know this is National Public Radio. You know that I have such tremendous respect for my peers because they can paint a picture with their voice, no. like and with. Ambient sound. They're experts at their craft. Um, Unfortunately, that doesn't always turn into a good story to look at. (laughs) Um, And so I'd say, you know, there's there's a decent amount of work that a large portion of work that NPR puts on the web that is sort of radio stories that are sort of translated or produced back for a text based experience. Right. Um, And and some of those are great, and some of those are you know okay. But I, I feel like the work that that really works best on the web and the work that our team's most proud of. And the most frequently, the most sort of satisfying or easy to do is the stuff that was conceived initially for the web, mm-hmm. and that frequently depends on the capacity of the, of the various desks and shows. Yeah. Right? That, for example, um, we've done a, a number of pieces with the uh, the education team about school funding that were really truly conceived for the web first and show it. And yeah, they, yeah,
1: you know, they really sing that. Way. Right, and then and then that and then that team takes that on the air and does sort of a different a different angle or a different piece of that. Yeah, again, it depends. I mean, no. so, you know,
2: sometimes we'll produce. You know, for example, a lot of the work of the code switch team is produced for the web first. Mm-hmm. This is our our race, ethnicity, and culture desk. Um, they'll be writing for the web, and then they'll go on the radio after they've written it um that's probably the opposite of the usual pattern yeah but it's a pattern that more and more we're moving towards mm-hmm. um, or at least we
1: know that it's a good one mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so. yeah um, can we talk a little bit about the analytics that you do because yeah. I, I feel like npr i'm sure everybody does analytics on their stories but i feel like npr is one of the few places that publishes a lot publicly about what they did and what they saw so can you talk a little bit about a how you go through that and b how and why you, you feel like you should be out there publicly sort of right. assessing that.
2: There is a um, pattern that I've seen in the, in the news industry is that teams like ours tend to start doing analytics like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, the, you know, the the interactive news team, the New York Times is a great example. Um, but we're, we're the, sort of the strain. We have the unusual combination of a strong interest in storytelling and a strong interest in knowing if our storytelling works, right? but also paired with the ability to actually analyze it ourselves. So we're not relying on another team to do analytics for us. We can do our own analytics on the visuals team. And so we've sort of had the ethos of conducting our work experimentally. So frequently we'll publish a story and we don't know if the button should be an arrow or the button should say next. Yeah. Right. And that's something that instead of sort of arguing about or having sort of intuitive ideas about, we can just test it. And since we're building the interface, you know, soup to nuts, um, implementing a test like that's not difficult for us. Whereas it's, it's much more difficult to, run tests like that inside your cms or inside your app yeah i mean we're working on these like self-contained chunks of designing code right so at one it's easier a little easier for us and we have the tools Um, and so you know i mean i I think being public about it is more you know there's certainly no one telling us to do that um and no one's but luckily no one's telling me not to do that yeah that's good right Um, so i think we've got institutional support there but, you know, but the thing is, is that, I mean, I think we firmly believe, and I think it's probably partially because we're public me- public media, but also just because we're, you know, we love journalism and this is a you know, mission-driven um, job, mm-hmm. that we're all in this together, yeah. right? And if I can help make somebody else's stories better, either by open sourcing the code we wrote to build a story, talking about how our analytics work... Um, then that makes the world a little Mm -hmm. bit of a better place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, that's kind of what gets me going. I mean, one of our team mottos is, is work in public. And, I, and it, that's really about, you know, not just working in public media, but, but doing our work in the public's interest.
1: Right. But it's also a little bit beyond the simple analytics. Like you have the CareBot project, right. Yeah, right? right? That's that's sort of more assessing how people respond, I guess, right. kind of innately to the, to the stories that you tell.
2: Yeah. I mean, CareBot, you know, we, we've been doing CareBot-like things for a little while. And the, the idea of the CareBot is started with the question of, Okay, so we're like a photo and graphics team at a radio organization. <laughs> What's our job? Right. You know, what should we be doing? And that led us down the road to thinking, okay, well, I think our job is to create more empathy in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Is, to, is to make people give a shit. Yeah. Um, because our stories – I mean, you know, the thing about NPR um, is we're not ProPublica, and we're not the Chicago Tribune, right? We're not – you know, the Chicago Tribune impact is throwing a governor into jail. ProPublica mm-hmm. impact is getting a bill passed in Congress, yeah. right? You know, we do some accountability journalism, but our bread and butter is like, is introducing people, introducing you to people you've never met. It's making you care about people or places or stories that you would have never heard unless you spent time with us. And um, and so we said, okay, so if our mission is to make people care, how do we measure if we're accomplishing our mission? And that's a hard question to answer because page views, you know, the traditional metrics um, do not really tell you that. Um, unfortunately we can't like put our audience into like an mri machine and we can't like actually analyze their brain but we can do things like we can just ask them yeah. Like when they finish a story, we can ask the question: Did the story make you care? Yeah. Um, people click a yes or no question like that. Um. We, and then we've done a lot more sort of indirect measurements, like the number of p- shares on Facebook divided by the number of page views. So what mm-hmm. what proportion of people who read the story were moved to tell their friends about? It. Yeah. Or you know, we've been doing very granular scroll depth tracking, um, to kind of to come up with a better com- better notion of completion rate. Mm-hmm. How many people finish the story? How far down did they get? into it. So all those sort of things ended up becoming a small uh, grant-funded project we're calling the CareBot. Um, And it's a open source framework that does two things. One, it implements a handful of alternative measurements for success. And we're hoping that will become a much longer list. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing it does that's really important to me is it's a different way of celebrating that success. So so the CareBot is, is... Partially about the metrics, but it's also really about how do you talk about success on your team yeah. um, how do you because like a daily analytics email i get I get one of those every day about our website and it's just a list of stories about celebrities and back pain yeah. and occasionally it's about but, uh, there's good journalism there, but it's not really a measurement of like journalistic success yeah um, And when you get that email every day, even if you believe in your work and even if you believe in your mission, that email can really be a letdown because you'll see your story maybe didn't even get on there. Right. And your story was a really good story. And so, you know, the question when we implement metrics is, you got to ask yourself, the question you need to ask yourself is, what behavior are we trying to change? Mm -hmm. What are we trying to get people to do Do, when we give them this information? And I want people to be creating more... Powerful journalism not necessarily be creating more pages because it's yeah. not like we make any money on pages anyway, right? So the actual implementation of Carebot, um, there is no dashboard. There is no email newsletter It's just a chat bot that hangs out in your team slack room mm-hmm. and uh, and says hey um, I've been tracking the story for four hours and people scroll down this far mm. or people completed it at this rate or You know people spent 60 seconds looking at your graphic yeah. And then we say hey good job teammates you know and, and doing that in a public space like a slack room is better than doing it in a private space like a dashboard right so um
1: yeah so that's what we've been, we've learned a lot in the last few months doing this project interesting and it seems like you've learned a lot in terms of the types of products that you're putting out there you were doing a lot of elections work obviously mm-hmm. there's a lot of elections dashboard which i'm sure everybody's going to be doing now yep. um then it seems like it changed a little bit is that is that right a little more maybe a little more narrative you have photo and photo editors and video now so how have you seen that evolution over the last months or years yeah i mean so we started sort of measuring our work in different ways a year and a half ago two years
2: ago and um and what we found was rather striking that you know for example, we have a series of stories we call, we call sort of Look at This. And Look at This stories are usually um, sequential visual narratives or, for lack of a better term, they're slideshows, right? They are, mm-hmm. they are they're very nice. They're lovely slideshows. But it's a story that it's pictures paired with a little bit of text and, or a graphic that sort of changes as you click through it. Um, and you sort of tap, 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 and you're reading the story and it's more like flipping through a picture book. Yeah. And we've produced stories like this that are 70 or 80 slides long. that take you a good deal of time to read and, um, and people finish them. You know, it's really, really interesting. And so our sort of joke about these stories is once we started measuring them, we realized that this is – we are tricking people into reading long-form journalism with lovely photography (laughs) and graphics. Right, right, Right. Like this is (laughs) – these completion rates can be astounding. And, um, you know, my my favorite example recently is a piece we did about the um, civil war in Yemen. Um, And it's a difficult, sad story. About 60,000 people saw the story, like page view-wise. Yeah. and that's not, you know, a dog. That's not a terrible, you know, sort of reach. But it's not a great reach. I mean, yeah. we'll do half million page stories, yeah. right? And so, if you looked at it just by those numbers, you might be let down. But you look at it, um, we, we, we use a metric called engaged completion rate. So, what that is, is of the people who stepped inside, how many finished? Yeah. So, a lot, when you hit a story, a lot of people will show up and just bail immediately. Right. And... So we throw them out for this metric. Mm -hmm. And so when they start reading, when they click the begin button or when they start scrolling down, then we start counting Mm -hmm. and we see how many people finish the piece. And so 60,000 people showed up, 50,000 people came in the front door and of those 50,000, 70% finished reading the story. And it's a story, like I said, about the Civil War in Yemen, Yemen. about yeah. a country you probably can't place on a map, about right. people that you didn't even know cared. About. Do you even did you even know there was a Civil War in no, Yemen? Not, it's not really. it's yeah. terrible. Yeah. So I mean,
1: by that measure, we really succeeded. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Um, and that's you know that that's that's what I want to be celebrating on our team. Right. I mean, it's interesting how we've started. To, I, I think a lot of people started to shift away from Patriots, but trying to figure out like what is the new metric? Yeah. What so, is success? Right. Yeah. Um, you also talked uh, earlier a little bit about. You know, making the world a better place, especially mm-hmm. for yeah. journalists. You have um, a new project called uh, Elix. Yeah, Alex. Uh, Alex. Yeah. That's uh, sort of multi news agency, right? Yeah. So okay. Alex, uh, my teammates
2: uh, David Eads and former teammate Jeremy Bowers, who's currently in new York, the New York Times, they're leading it. And the idea is is that we need to end the elections arms race, to borrow uh, Jeremy's phrase, that everybody at Every major news organization is getting election data from the Associated Press mm-hmm. right? we're, we're, for, for national races, right? And what we all do is we all end up building software that just just to consume that API or that mm-hmm. feed and put it in the database. Yeah. And the fact that we're all doing the exact same work is absurd. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) And we've done the exact same work. So this project was inspired by um, the LA Times actually put out a great Python library um, for consuming Associated Press's uh, elections FTP drop, which is what they did for it. That's how AP used to give data is they drop it on an FTP site, like a giant tab-separated file or something like that. Um, And when the AP decided to change how they deliver results. Now they deliver over, a, over an API. Um, we need, Somebody needed to build a new library. Yep. And we said, well, why don't we just do this together? Um, and so at this point, people from six different news organizations have contributed. And this library, Alex, is powering, depending how you measure it, dozens of election results websites, you know, the New York Times, NPR... Yep. Um, golly, I'm starting to forget the list, you know, small places like, uh, the spokesman review, mm-hmm. um, uh, all of McClatchy, wow, <laughs> which, okay. you know, like that's yeah. one user organization or 29. Yeah. Yeah. It's being used by a good deal of people. And I'm just proud that we all didn't have to build our own stuff. Yeah. Right? There was just no point in us built each building our own.
1: Now, network. do you feel though, that now everybody's going to have the same day that there's still going to be this. I mean, arms race is a great term. This yeah. is an like arms race well, of I mean, all the we different dashboards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, But so I'll move to the next level.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, this, I mean, this is, you know, the, the joy of software. I mean, I've been in the business for a while. And every couple of years or every year, something new comes out that adds a layer of abstraction that takes away a chunk of plumbing And your gut reaction is, oh crap, I'm going to lose my job. I was really good at making that plumbing. Right. Whereas really it's like, you're just taking one step up Maslow's pyramid. You're saying, (laughs) all right, I'm one step closer to self-actualization. Now I can think about (laughs) slightly more interesting problems. I can think a little bit more about my audience and a little bit less about
1: plumbing today. Right. Um, Right. So, so, okay. So let's finish up. Where do you see the visuals desk at NPR going over the next, I mean, we know where we'll be over the next six months. We'll all be talking about the election for the next six months, but where, you know, one, Year five years down the road, um, where do you see the desk, especially as it relates to the rest of the of the organization? Yeah. Um,
2: so one thing that I've been working on I've been working with the team is uh, is thinking about how we can improve our workflow to work on shorter term things, which is a little. Uh, I'll explain it. You know, we've got a pretty good process for a six week project, like mm-hmm. the elections app. Or a three- or four-week storytelling project that combines pictures and video and graphics Mm -hmm. and and, um, stuff. Um, So we're we're pretty good at projects. And I'd say that our shorter-term work has been good. Um, But what we haven't done as well is really have picture editors and graphics editors and data folks working really closely for like a two day project yeah. or, or a one week project or a breaking news situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a story we did recently about the bombing in, uh, in Brussels um, that I'm really proud of because it was, you know, instead of, you know, the situa- what we could have done that morning is started to make a bunch of locator maps of the city of Brussels. Mm-hmm. Um, but for an American audience, I don't think that adds a whole yeah. lot of value. <laughs> yeah. um, but that was the default behavior. Right? Yeah. Um, make and a, we make started, a map and yeah. there you go. Right. And yep. we said, okay, let's not do that default thing. Yep. Let's get an editor from the international desk, one of our picture editors, one of our graphics editors, me, so, you know, a couple, of pe- couple people. Let's sit down for 10 minutes. Let's sketch out a plan for the day and let's plan on publishing something four hours from now, five hours from now, that really tells the story of what we know mm-hmm. and tells it as a visual story, as opposed to having visuals as sort of an accessory to a text-driven story. You know, it's not to say that visual are is better than words, but people really like visual storytelling, like it works really well on the web and on social and wherever. And so, you know, a sto- telling a story, you know, where photography and graphics are the centerpiece um, more than sort of the side piece. I right. guess. That can be really difficult to do when you have to work really fast. So yeah. what we're trying to figure out is, you know, what's the breaking news checklist or what, what's our little playbook mm-hmm. for a one-day story, a two-day story, a six-day story? Um, and how how do they vary?
1: Right. So that's something I think we're in the process of learning right now. Yeah. Interesting. Well, um, Well. good luck. Thank you. Um, sounds <laughs> great. Uh, lots of great stories, and I'll post them all on the, on the show page. Um, so, uh, Brian, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Absolutely. It's been fun.
1: And thanks to everyone for tuning in this week. Uh, please let me know if you have comments or suggestions on the website, on Twitter, via email. Um, and please rate the show on your favorite podcast provider. So until next time, this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.
0: This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by the Maryland Institute College of Art. MICA's professional graduate program in information visualization trains designers and analysts to translate data into compelling visual narratives. Benefit from the resources of a premier college of art and design while learning online. Earn your information visualization degree in just fifteen months. Expert faculty includes Andy Kirk, John Schwabish, Marissa Peacock, and Rob Rolleston. Learn more at mica.edu slash